Hi and welcome to a very special interview show of the Prod. It is my pleasure to have His Excellency Harsh Kakkar sir on our show. Harsh Kakkar sir has served as a major general in the Indian Army, which is one of the senior most positions in the Indian Armed Forces. Sir is a renowned author, a speaker, a television panelist, a columnist, and a defense expert. Thank you very much, sir, for agreeing to this interview and welcome to the Prod. Thank you. My pleasure. Okay, sir. So, so my first question to you would be that how do you see the Indo-China conflict going? Critics and opposition parties say that China has captured some part of our land, but the government denies this. What is the actual situation, and what are your thoughts on this? The first factor is that we see we've got to understand what is a line of actual control. Only then will we understand what sort of land are we talking about. Now, the line of control, which is the border with Pakistan, is a demarcated line, agreed upon during the Shimla Agreement. Now, this line defines uh, this agreement defines a line up to the point nine NJ nine eight five two from where the Siachen Glacier takes off, which is not demarcated. Now, as far as the line of actual control is concerned, it's the border between India and China, where there is no agreement on what defines the line. Both nations have their own perceptions. There's been about 22 meetings uh, between the two countries on the border issue, and you've come down to not. You've actually not agreed anywhere. So when you have that line of perception, the the issue comes: which area is perceived to belong to whom? Now, if we take the uh, Pangongso area, which is the one which is mostly uh, discussed, India perceives. The LAC to be running along Finger Eight. A finger are the ridge lines which come down from the mountain. So we we presume that the LAC or our perception of the LAC is that it is running along Finger Eight. The Chinese perception is it is running along Finger Four. So we have our post short of Finger Four, and they had a post beyond Finger Eight, and they had made a road up to Finger Four in 1999. So they have come to the area which they perceive to be theirs. Similar issues have come up in other areas. So what you were actually talking about is a, is that they've come into the area which they perceive to be theirs within our perception limits. So basically, if you look at it, it is only coming into your perceived area. It is not capturing any area. In Galwan, PT14 was where we would patrol. So our base was behind it. So we had. So for us, the perception was that the LAC ran up to PP14. For China, the perception was PP14 is in their portion. So it is a matter of perception. Now, as far as political parties are concerned, if you turn the perception into the area which you believe to be belonging to India, it is still disputed, not yet demarcated, not yet clarified. So you can then twist the words to mean whatever you want, and in India everything gets political mainly because we are perpetually in the election mode. You have one state election or you have a few state elections, so the intention always is being to let down the government in power. Now any action which is taken against any such government, so for the opera for the opposition to project the government to be wrong is an easy aspect. And it is always raised that this is an area which they have taken, which belonged to us. So it is within the perceived area. So you cannot really claim 
that it's Indian territory which is lost. An Indian post has been taken. Nothing of that sort has happened. So that is where we need to understand this difference. Okay, so so what according to you is the actual reason behind this conflict? Why is China doing all this, and uh, what made them to launch attack on our soldiers on in Taiwan? Uh, China would have had multiple reasons for having taken this step. Uh, you would find almost everyone is assessing it in a different manner. Some have claimed that the intention is to convey a message to India: don't go closer to the U.S. Others have claimed that they that they need to take some region which would give them security to the Karakoram Highway. Others have said that this is basically a message to India that China remains a power in the region and you are not supposed to challenge China anyway. Or possibly even the Indian Australian bonhomie. Or the fact that India is now heading the World Health Association, uh, Association which is going to now. Look into the origins of the pandemic in China, but nothing really has been defined by China. Now, had it been a territorial interest, we wouldn't have seen the sort of de-escalation that we see now. So basically, China was not interested in territory because for China, India is not a threat. India has no intentions beyond its own areas. It has no intention of going and crossing the LOC and challenging. LAC is challenging China or cutting off the Karakoram Highway. There is nothing which is in the Indian plans or the Indian mindset. So, therefore, the reason possibly would be more towards diplomatic or economic, where the intention is to create a discussion at the right forum, possibly with application of pressure. Now, when China came in, it was seeking. It had actually commenced its exercise. Which it normally does during the same season, and India does the same exercise around the same time. The intention is to have matching force levels, so no such incident can take place. Now, the Chinese build-up in their side of the region was monitored. But what was the Chinese intention is always difficult to to estimate because intentions can change overnight. Whereas inputs would give you the presence of forces and the sort of impact that these forces can create. Now, when that happened in the month of May, and China suddenly rushed in, hoping to gain advantage of the non-availability of Indian troops because of COVID-19, the Indian deployment was equally rapid, and you were able to stem the Chinese. Now they got stemmed, and the first talks that came about to spoke about. Disengagement in Gaddafi. So when the Indian troops went into China, decided or possibly would have visualized that by creating an incident at Gaddafi, you would be able to create a sort of a fear psychosis within the Indian minds on the might of the Chinese armed forces, which they thought would hold them in good stead in further negotiations. So therefore, this was a pre-planned, premeditated incident for which they had come prepared with equipment other than weapons, which could be fired. So that, so therefore, they struck below the level of agreement which is between the two countries. The response that the Chinese got, with a greater number of casualties on their sides, figures are varying between 35 to 100, at times 43. But the fact remains that there were 40 sorties by the Chinese almost in the area, 
and the helipad that they used was the one which was under vicinity. So therefore, when they were carrying the casualties, you were aware that the casualties were far, far more than what we had had. Now, the lesson that they thought of conveying backfired. The impact on the Chinese was that they realized the ferocity, the determination, and the capability of the Indian army, which would refuse to bend and would not permit the Chinese to move forward. So what you achieved at the end of the entire incident was you achieved a statement. You may sit where you are, but how long are you going to sit? So at some stage of time, you would have to look at means beyond what they were. And once you received that sort of a message, you also realize that you cannot push forward anymore because the force levels are matching. If you have to push forward in a mountainous region like that, you need 8 to 10 times the force level. But that is not only impossible to build, it is equally impossible to maintain and manage. So you had to then move into the next stage, which is what we had in terms of recent talks. Okay. So what should India do next? What exactly should be our next strategy? And do you think that China can launch this Galwan type of attack again? See, the the Galwan incident has created a trust deficit. Now, this trust deficit is not only between the two armies. It's also a trust deficit by this very incident between the two nations. You broke all agreements. You broke the norms of handling standoffs. So at every level, there has been a creation of a trust deficit. And this has not been done by India. It's been done by China. They may continue saying that India crossed over and it led to the Galwan incident. But the fact is China has created the trust deficit right from the outset when it crossed over on the beginning of May. Now, this trust deficit has to be removed by China. Currently, what we've done is we've now got matching force levels. We're holding it there. The question that comes in is what should be our future step? Till the Chinese pull back to whatever level, our pullback will be matching the Chinese. You pull back 50, we'll pull back 50. You pull back a brigade, we'll pull back a brigade. You pull back a division, we'll pull back a division. You pull them 50 kilometers back, we'll pull them 50 kilometers back. You de-induct them from there, we will de-induct them. Because we have a similar capability of build-up as they have. But now we've got to look beyond this. If we have to look beyond this, then we need to reconsider, firstly, the capabilities that we have in the region, whether we need to enhance our force levels. We need to reconsider the creation of the mountain strike core, which was stalled by the government on account of lack of funds. That is an offensive formation which is available to us. We need to reconsider what sort of equipment and capabilities we need for mountain warfare. We also need to look at what is the sort of structures that we make, because this is not going to be the last incident that we're going to have in Ladakh. It is going to be a continuous uh, process which is going to carry on for a long time. So how are we going to handle it and what is the sort of structures that we need to prevent any such incident again reoccurring? And the Chinese knowing that we are fully prepared to counter any such action. This is what should be our future plan. Next, the actions that we've taken now, 
whether it be uh, blocking Chinese investments, whether it be stopping imports from China, uh, blocking their 59 apps, and a whole lot of other actions that we've taken politically and diplomatically. We should not back down from there. That should remain in place always as a threat to China that you have broken the contract until we are convinced with your threat, with your threat, uh, your trust deficit having been removed, we are not going to change our position. So we should continue on this so that the pressure on the Chinese remains for a long time. So, sir, at this moment, which countries do you see on the side of India, and which countries may take the side of China if it is a, if there is a situation of war? And what are your thoughts on the involvement of Russia in the whole scenario? Uh, firstly, as far as uh, the situation going up to war, you got to look at it in a manner that that is slightly unlikely. Or, but one can never be very sure of how things go. Now, war in what sense? Are we looking at a localized war? Are we looking at a war across all fronts? So these are different issues for which there would be different reactions. Now, if you're looking and the world build up you would realize that india has global support possibly the only and those nations that are not supporting india largely are staying neutral but not supporting china in any form the only two nations which will remain in support of china is going to be north korea which makes no difference and pakistan pakistan basically has no choice uh, there is a perception within Pakistan that the Chinese action has come in to support Pakistan, which was feeling the threat of anything, of something emerging from the Indian side, and which is why they keep crying over false flag operation. But that is unrealistic because China is not concerned on those issues. So basically, it's going to be uh, China is going to have very limited support as far as this is concerned. Majority are going to be with India. Now, as far as Russia is concerned, Russia has close links with both India and China. The fact that India went in for Russian equipment immediately when the crisis began, which was the, the visit of the defense minister to Russia. Russia is neutral. It's part of the China-India-Russia group. It is also part of the SCO. We're together in the SCO. We're together in BRICS. So there's a large number of organizations in which India, Russia and China are together. It's quite possible that Russia would have played a role in terms of cooling the environment. Russia, in case of any such action between India and China, will definitely look to cool tensions, but is neither going to openly support India or China. There has been a presumption that uh, China has, has approached Russia asking them to uh, slow down the delivery of equipment that India has asked for, which possibly appears unlikely uh, depending on the way the situation goes. Because whatever we've ordered, nothing is going to come in the next month or two. It's going to take its own time. Orders placed now normally see the light of day after about two years or so. So by then the situation is not going to remain the same. So Russia, to a large extent, will be a stabilizing factor seeking to resolve the tensions between India and China rather than supporting one and displaying a sort of, you know, one-sided approach which would only worsen the environment. 
Okay. So how do you see the stand of Nepal on the conflict? I mean, it's almost almost clear that they stand with China at the moment. And uh, is there any political force or is there an economic pressure which is forcing the Prime Minister of Nepal to stand with China? Because Nepal and uh, India are very good allies since a very long time. India and Nepal uh, relationships go far, far behind. I mean, we are, we've got religious, cultural, a whole lot of affinity between the two nations. On top of it, uh, we are among the only few nations which have open borders, where movement up and down is open. About over a million and a half Nepalese work in India. There are about 40,000 Gurkha soldiers from Nepal in the Indian Army. We support lakhs and lakhs of ex-soldiers and their families in Nepal who who are looked after from the uh, Indian Army mission within the Nepal Embassy. The largest army uh, army mission strength in any country is held by India and Nepal, basically to cater for the Nepalese Gurkhas. So relationships are far deeper. The problem in Nepal currently uh, has always been whenever Oli has been in power. The last blockade took place when Oli was in power. The current uh, crisis is because Oli is in power. Oli tends to be pro-China. He is pro-China because it's China which is working to keep him in his chair. And you would realize that even yesterday, the Chinese ambassador to Nepal met the Nepalese president to try and save Oli from being removed from chair. She even met an opponent of his hoping to save him. And therefore, the meeting of the Nepalese Congress, which was demanding his ouster, has been postponed to tomorrow. How will it play out is a different part. Now, Nepal is not uh, supporting China because of its affinity to China. It is supporting China basically because Oli is fighting for his chair. Now, a small country with a big neighbor like India, far more powerful, which controls all the taps that flow into Nepal, it is always easy to play an anti-Nepal card, anti-India card within Nepal to try and stem the uh, removal of the uh, head of state from the chair. So that is exactly what Oli has been doing. At the same time, everyone claims that uh, Nepal has joined the BRI, the Belt Road Initiative of China. But there hasn't been a single project of the BRI which is taken off in Nepal. The reason being the Nepalese don't trust the Chinese that they may not land up in another dead trap and get stuck and then have to lose some amount of territory to China in lieu of the agreement. So that is another feeling. There are reports within Nepal of China having grabbed about 50 acres of their land. So there is no close affinity between Nepal and China. It's except only trying to save this chair. India is waiting and watching. We're not rushing in to resolve the dispute. It's a matter of time before there is some stability in Nepal. It will not remain as long as Oli is in chair. He may survive tomorrow. A week later, the pressure will again build up. So he's accusing India is only to save himself because Nepal knows without India it cannot survive. All its all its goods come to Calcutta. They don't come via China. They're not going to travel 3,000 kilometers or more from China. Its oil flow is from India. Natural gas is from India. Everything goes through India. China promised it uh, petrol once the uh, la- the last time Oli was in power and the blockade of Nepal had taken off. It sent one train load of 10,000 liters and that was it. 
So actually nothing would really flow from China. Nepal knows it has to ultimately fall back to India. But it's political games and political survival which try and display a pro-China feeling. But you've also seen that earlier in uh, Bangladesh, you've seen that in uh, Maldives. So these are things that the Indian government expects because of India's size, economic and military power. Okay. So are you satisfied with the kind of media coverage that has been done on this particular issue? Uh, you see, as far as the Indo-China standoff is concerned, the actions by the media have been rather immature. You're always trying to uh, project a one-upmanship in terms of uh, profit or loss. Or China pushed back, India gains victory. So these discussions that take place at the political or the army level are done in an area, in a, in a sort of an atmosphere of understanding. No country wants to be uh, branded as having lost and been forced to pull back. You are looking at some form in terms of face-saving measures. You're looking at some form in terms of you know where the discussion is taking place in a mature environment without one being shown the winner or the or the other being shown the loser. Now, when the casualty figures came out. You know, you, you found the sort of discussion that was going on between in the media that so many killed and this killed and retaliated. No, casualties are casualties on both sides. So we're not looking for a stronger victory. And even today, when you're talking of disengagement, you find a large number of media outlets covering it as victory for India, defeat for China, China pushed back. Here you are looking at resolving an issue. You're not looking at win and lose. So we need to be more mature when we're handling it. Let those in the chair deal with it. And let us give facts without giving our perception, which may be possibly colored, which is bound to be pro-us and bound to show the other nation as defeatist, which may not be the reality. Okay. So I would like to conclude by asking that, do you think that Indian government has managed the situation well or it has completely failed in doing so? Uh, the first statement is it has managed it very ideally. See, when China began the initial rounds of talks, it was looking at application of pressure to bring what has finally begun, the political level dialogue between the NSA and the special representative. It was seeking that the faster it comes about, the greater is the pressure which China is applying on India. That was their perception. India was in no rush. The Indian government maintained a steady silence. It passed no comments. It did no criticism. It waited. When China continued its application of pressure, after Galwan, the PM just spoke once, and then again, he maintained the silence. When India realized that it's about time that China is conveyed the true Indian thoughts, that was when the Indian PM made his visit to Ladakh. Now, that visit clearly conveyed the Indian mind, and it was meant for the international audience, including China. And that was, I would term it as the turning point when India categorically stated that we are not going to back down. We are here for the long time and we will remain the way we are. 
Finally, it is after a period of of over two months that you have come down to the right level of dialogue, which immediately led to de-escalation. Because when the other side realized that you're not going to gain anything more, except by enhancing the level of the conflict, and at the right time, the moment the two, the NSA and the special representative spoke, within hours you found the de-escalation. So it was a decision which waited. The messages were conveyed. They were conveyed subtly. They were conveyed in a very quiet manner. And finally, when the right time came and the PM made his visit, it was evident that India has finalized its call, and that is it. You want to continue. You want to increase the stakes. India is ready for it. Now, when that message went through. Finally, did we go about to the political level? So I think it's been a very mature, very calibrated, and a very logical handling of a situation which, had we not done it correctly, could have led or could have resulted in far greater damage. Okay, thank you, sir, for taking out the time and thank you for speaking to us. My pleasure. Take care. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Sir. Thank you.